right. Welcome to the Sweet Science of Fighting podcast. Today, we have Ian. Is it Dunik? Dunikin? Did I say that? I, I, I butchered the shit out of that to start this podcast, I'm sure. That's all right, uh, James. That's fine. You can you can go along with your racist comments to me. That's okay. I get caught all sorts. A lady said to me last week while I was talking to her, are you Serbian? I was like, how the fuck am I Serbian? Do you any can? It sounds Serbian, Yugoslavian. I said, do I sound Serbian or Yugoslavian to you? It's like, really? I said, I actually probably have more respect for you. He said I was Japanese. Like, like, completely off the ball there. So yeah, Dunikin. So in the Irish language, the D-U-N is is pronounced like a D-O-O-N, like a Dune. So that's, yeah, comes from the Irish word of Dunigan. Gotcha. Now, all good. But people who are not aware of your background, Ian, obviously you excel in the area of sleep around uh, athletes and things. Do you want to maybe just dive into a little bit of your background there and, and where you've come from? Yeah, so I, I suppose where I, uh, as you can probably tell by my accent or accident, uh, I'm Irish originally. Um, I've been in Western Australia for a little over 20 years now. Uh, my background's a bit mixed and colourful. I started, I dropped out of school in probably the equivalent of year 12 or the last year of high school to join the military. I did five years in an infantry unit, served overseas as well. Um, in the Middle East, got sick of that, uh, decided to go back to university, came here to Western Australia with my wife, who's Australian. She's from around uh, Melbourne, Victoria. We came here and I did an undergraduate degree in education and an associate's degree in health and safety. I worked in the mining industry for about 10 years, health and safety and business improvement roles. And my last role in that mining company was like a global advisor for fatigue and human performance. So I kind of married up this kind of improvement um, area and my health and safety knowledge as well. I did a postgrad in um, engineering, did a master's in mining engineering, I did a master's in business as well. I did a graduate certificate in sleep science. And then I decided that I wanted to go and do something different um, or, ex- or kind of go deeper into that. So in 2014, uh, I went back to do my PhD in sleep and performance with elite combat and contact athletes. So primarily working with the oh, Western nice. Force and Super Rugby and then also with the Australian Institute yep. of Sport with some judo and boxing athletes and grappling. Uh, in 2017, uh, I started my own business called Melia's Consulting. We have another arm of that business, Sleep for Performance, where we have a podcast, we do seminars and so on. It's kind of like an educational arm. So we have two kind of, I suppose, arms to the business of Melia's Consulting. One is we work a lot with industry, lots of mining, oil and gas, rail, transportation. We even work in entertainment, aviation. We help them with the designing of fatigue risk management systems and shifts in roster design and sleep and all these type of things around safety. And then the other side is we work with athletes as well. So we've worked with a number of different athletes who've interfaced with Jordan at the Fight Dietitian um, we work with the McLaren Formula One team. We do all their travel and jet lag uh, planning oh, wow. for McLaren. I've worked one-on-one with Daniel Ricciardo before mm-hmm. and a other range of athletes. I think the, probably the final part then is in the business, all of us are a bunch of nerds, really. We all do different types of research. So I do anything from dream research and nightmares right through to research in athletes to shift work and sleep environment. Um, and yeah, that's really, that's where I am today. So I kind of like, I still research. I have an adjunct senior research fellow position, which is a fancy way of saying I don't get paid, but I get to do research. Um, so it's like a professor position at the University of Western Australia, which is one of the top universities here in Australia, probably in the akin to an Ivy League school in, in America. And um, in conjunction with that, I've got a background in ultramarathon. So I've run a number of like long distance runs, 100K runs, 100 mile runs, Leadville 100 miler at altitude in Colorado. I've done twice. I swam to Rottnest Island, which is a 20k ocean swim. 
um, unsupported. I've done that as well. Well, sorry, sorry, unsupported by like fins and wetsuits and so on. And uh, I got a background in combat sports. Uh, I have a black belt in jiu-jitsu, although I'm a middle-aged shitty um, athlete. And I played rugby growing up as well. And uh, yeah, I probably have ADHD as well. <laughs> I was going to say, you sound a bit, a bit crazy at the end of this. That's, that, that's awesome. That, that's, a, that's a big, big background of a range yeah. of things and a lot of stuff we can we can dive into too. Yeah, that, that's great. But obviously, you mentioned about the dream research and nightmare research. Yeah. Obviously, you, talk, you mentioned that before the podcast. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So what kind of things are you looking at within that? Does any of that relate to performance? Uh, I suppose indirectly I may do. I also host another podcast called, uh, I have my own podcast, Sleep for Performance, but I also have another podcast I do with a co-host in Ireland called Learning to Die, which is a podcast around philosophy, psychology, history. and Learning to Die. Learning to Die, yeah, Learning to Die. Oh, yeah. Sounds grim. Yeah, we've had some really interesting <laughs> philosophers on that. It's actually, actually, it's the other way around. It's actually life affirming. It's about grabbing life by the balls and actually going and doing something instead of sitting around being terrified. And it was a number of guests on this podcast actually led me to combine this um, research um, in this area. So we've seen during the pandemic and over the last few years that nightmares are increasing. And with nightmares as well, we see a lot of people um, having debt anxiety. This was probably, you know, accelerated by COVID. I was talking about a little Mm. bit before. And so there's people like between 18 to 25 who are actually terrified to leave the house gyms. Because they're afraid they're going to get sick and die. They're afraid a car is going to hit them. Someone's going to rob them, you know. It's this kind of, you know, like just hide away. Jonathan Haidt spoke about in The Cognitive of the American Mind. Jordan Peterson talks about it and so on. And we found a very Mm -hmm. high prevalence of nightmares and and the relationship between death anxiety already in our research. Um, And, you know, we've we've been, been, uh, we're we're still collecting this. So if people want to jump on this, it's open to anybody. Uh, dreamteam.study is our website and people can go and participate in that as well. But I think indirectly it's going to allow people from a performance point of view to start living their lives is what I'd say for some people. We can maybe use this data to start making some meaningful actions to reduce nightmares. And the other thing from a sleep perspective is we know that one of the easiest indicators of sleep quality is nightmares. So if I asked you, James, you know, do you do you dream a lot? And you went, and if you said to me, yeah, I dream, nope. I dream a lot, and it's really good. Yeah, I enjoy my dreams. That's a good sign of sleep quality. If you don't dream mm. or you have lots of nightmares, it's a quick way of kind of saying you've got poor sleep quality. So it's kind of a oh. quick kind of indicator of what's happening with your with your sleep. Yeah. So someone who doesn't dream, like I, well, I don't. At least I don't remember any of my dreams. So I'm assuming I don't dream. Then does that mean my sleep quality could be better if I was? trying to get to a point where I was dreaming? Yeah, so you may be dreaming but not remembering them. Um, for some people, even like, you know, we'd have to look at what you're doing. A lot of people jump out of bed straight away in the morning when the alarm goes off and they don't give themselves a chance to kind of what I would call wake up slow and, and just maybe sit there and contemplate what happened overnight for a couple of moments. And for some people, that's just really easy and nice. And then people go, oh, wow, I'm actually starting to remember my dreams. But most of us are... You know, running 100 miles an hour every day, jump out of bed, get shit done, go to bed. Like, it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's crazy. Yeah, so, that's me right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I won't lie, I'm in that same position at the moment as well. <laughs> you know, um, and so th- th- this, will be, this will be a challenge for people. So I, I would urge people who don't remember, who can't remember their dreams, is don't jump out of bed. Maybe give yourself an extra five minutes when the alarm goes off and just lie there and just, you know, chew the fat for a minute and scratch yourself and look out the window and, and, and just, just let your mind wander for a moment and see if you can start recalling your dreams as well. And the other thing as well we've seen is people actively going to bed going, tonight I'm going to remember my dream in the morning. Uh, that kind of affirmation <laughs> it actually helps as well. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, for some people, okay. yeah. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, my wife my wife dreams a lot in her dreams and I know she has pretty poor sleep, so but she dreams some I guess more nightmare stuff. So Yeah, well that can be yeah. that can be an indication of the poor sleep quality as well with the more mm. nightmares. So and they could be driven from a number of different factors, yeah. And the other thing I'd say to people as yeah. well who are like, Oh, what does this dream mean and what does that dream mean? <laughs> we actually don't know. Like you would go onto the internet and you'd be like I dreamt of I was, you know, walking a pig to school with a lead and there'd be like yeah. 20 different interpretations. There's no consensus on that from a scientific perspective. A lot of these websites are just kind of novel things where, you know, someone in the, yeah. you know, the psychic world will say that's what it means, but it can mean completely different things. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress out about the content. The content of the dream is inferred, informed by what we have during the day, could be informed from what we have from the past. But then also as well, the other area as well, which is a bit more sketchy, is that it actually might be a prediction of the future. And we've seen this as well throughout, throughout history, right. is that many dreams have been predictors of the future. So many famous people... Dude, what? Go into this. This is I love this shit, man. This okay, is, so I've, ri- I've written... An, I've, but I like this. I've written an essay on my website <laughs> called Death, uh, Dreams, Death and Divinity, if people want to read that. It's about 3,000 words. So you can go over and read that. It's under the blog section on the website. But you look at someone like... Um, there was a mathematician. Like never, his name was Ramajan. And they made a movie about him called The Man Who Knew Infinity, which I think Dev Patel is his name, the actor that played him. It's a true story. A guy in the early 1900s from India with no formal education became like one of the world's best mathematicians in Cambridge and got a PhD. When he was asked where he got all this mathematical knowledge from, he said that God brought it to him at nighttime in a dream. So when he went to sleep, he saw a, a, basically a, a version of the God Vishnu would come to him and give him mathematical formulas. This is a man that had no formal education. So where the fuck does that come Damn. out, right? That's first of all, right? That's, that's, that's one, right? <laughs> the other one then is uh, René Descartes, a famous French, French philosopher who's actually credited with bringing you know, modern science to us today in its form with using data. So before science was very kind of philosophical based, you know, we'd sit around and pontificate. I think... When I chew food, it releases a vapor and makes me sleep, right? That's what people would sit around and say. It was these kind of things, you know? But Descartes had a dream. He actually was visited from an angel in a dream that's, that the, the angel said to him, the way like, of the future is to use quantification of science. That's why today we use numbers. So he started this. Mm. But that came from a dream, right? And we're very quick in society to say, oh, you know, religion is shit and God is this and it's all just bullshit. But so many of our of our of our you know so many of the direction of society has been influenced by dreams and what people have dreamt mm. and there's just two examples okay. yeah there's there's many more the other the other interesting one as well is the relationship between dreams and and um people are listening to this going what the fuck is this about like we're supposed to be talking about fighting or combat sports like or something else you know what it's interesting as well is the relationship in christopher kerr's work death is but a dream about the relationship or the link between dreams and dying so many people who are about to die start having very vivid uh, dreams. So they basically kind of use a time yeah. marker and they reverse back from when they die and they collect all this data. So as they're going towards the death process in the palliative care and so on, so they maybe have six weeks to live, they start entering into these different studies. And so many people, when they're about to die, start having more dreams, um, more vividness of the dreams, and then ha- start having more daytime hallucinations or seeing more visions during the day. This is people sitting oh. in a room... You know, not affected by medication when it's making them hallucinate, but someone that's dying um, and basically would be sitting in the room talking to the doctor and go, my grandfather that died in 1930 is sitting here and he's telling me I'm coming soon and everything's fine. 
And this is people with no mental illness, right? And it's, it's been well documented and published in palliative care journals as well. Death is but a dream. And as people get more towards dying, the frequency of those dreams and, night- and those dreams goes up, less nightmares happen, and the more comforting it becomes as well. So people are ready to pass over. This is really interesting mm. also. The other thing as well on, on this subject is William James, the founder of modern psychology, um, back in the 1800s and, and early 1900s, himself and other people, um, they started up the field of psychology. Psychology was really about psychical research at the start. Many people don't know this. A, lot of bi- a big chunk of psychology over 100 years ago was about contacting the dead and the purpose of death and where will we go. Mm. So it was very kind of esoteric and spiritual. And over the years, it's just been basically hijacked. So there was a guy that was born in the West Indies of English and Irish background, uh, Barrett, I think it was his name. He ended up becoming a professor of physics in Dublin. He wrote a book called Deathbed Visions which spanned these accounts from like the late 1800s into the 1900s. It was published in 1926, I believe, uh, Deathbed Visions. And this is, um, has numerous accounts in this of, of people reporting, seeing people who've, who've died, then they've died. You know, it's just all this whole thing about Deathbed Visions and, and the relationship. And we see this as well in other cultures. Tibetan culture has this as well in terms of Buddhism and so on. There's a big relationship between uh, death and dreams. So this is another area that's quite interesting as well. And maybe wow. maybe this dreaming process and this sleep process might be a bridge to another world. Who knows? Um, so we got like... Past- yeah, does, it, does, it, does this make you believe more in, say, like an afterlife or spiritual realm and things like that? Um, I be- I've come to the conclusion, James, that this isn't it. I think this is... I think, uh, for want of a better word, if I put it in very scientific terms, I think this is all bullshit here. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I, 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 I've been, I also participate in some, I, you know, I've, I would wax and wane in meditation, I would say. I've been on silent meditation yeah. retreats. Um, I would, I have a very, uh, I, have a, I have a soft spot for Eastern philosophy and Buddhism and Taoism. I'm more drawn towards that than the Christianity. Um, but I would say that I think there's something more, yeah. And I think the I think the relationship with dreams and dying needs to be explored a bit more. And I think there's there's more to it. There's also as well lots of um I spoke to a guy, actually his book came yesterday called Authorized Lives. He's what's called a Tulku. Have you ever heard of a Tulku? T U L K U. Tulku was a reincarnation of a Tibetan um like Buddhist master or, or, or spiritual guidance person. And this guy, Eli, was basically a Tulku, a reincarnation, but he grew up in America. So he was like a Western hmm. version of this reincarnation. And so, but many of these people, these Tulkus actually have dreams when they're young of past lives. And, and then they start seeing things mm-hmm. and describing things and painting pictures of places in Tibet or Nepal or India where they've never been to at the age of four in places like San Francisco. So this also, this links back to another thing called Hindra's net. Hindra's net comes out of Buddhism and Hinduism, that the world is kind of covered by a net, which is nearly like an invisible mm-hmm. internet where our consciousness goes up into, and it's like a collective consciousness. Carl Jung spoke about Like a simulation. Yeah, well, kind of maybe like a simulation. Carl Jung spoke about this. Rupert Sheldrake talks about this in Morphic Resonance Theory. Other people speak about this. So maybe it's a way we, you know, upload stuff and download stuff. A classic example I, I always mm-hmm. say is like, look at the four-minute mile. Nobody could break it. Nobody could break it. Roger Bannister breaks mm-hmm. it. 20 or 30 people break the four-minute mile. Exactly. <laughs> so how the fuck does that happen? Nothing's changed. Like, we haven't adapted physiologically. But how is that consciousness going mm. up and down straight away? Or a fighter who's unbeaten. He gets beaten once. Next minute, he goes, oh, yeah, I can beat him then. It's like this weird kind of mm. thing that happens. Or in our own lives, 
we go, oh, I could never do this. I could never do that. And then you just do something. Like I know one guy at the moment, he's probably 51. I could never go to uni. I could never go to uni. I could never do that. He went to uni, got on like the, the dean's list, like in the first semester. So now he's like, boom, I can do anything. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I've got more questions about this than answers. But this is where, yeah. these are some of the things that are circulating at the moment. Oh, I love this. I mean, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the show Ancient Aliens. I don't know if you've watched Ancient Aliens. A few oh, episodes, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you have to be I'm, high to watch that. Oh, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like we smoked a bowl into the podcast <laughs> and we just turned into a rugged back. But Ancient Aliens, they talk about the same thing, about all the people on there downloading information from the gods and that's how they created and they have all the things on there. But yeah, I love I love that show. That show is awesome too. Yeah. It's, uh, but some of the concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should move this on to some performance stuff for the people listening out, like what the fuck is going on. But let's start with let's start with wearables. Wearables and sleep. So all the companies now are jumping on this bandwagon. You've got Aura Ring. I think Whoop might even track your sleep as well. You've got all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But obviously there's potential issues in, in tracking accuracy, what they actually track, what's actually important for someone to track, and then if you know, is that gonna cause any tracking anxiety from the person using it? So what's your take on wearables for sleep? Do you have one that you recommend or do you recommend not using them? And anything else in between. Okay, so this is very interesting. I'm just typing here at the moment so I get this title right because unfortunately I'm actually half an idiot. So I'm going to actually um, pull up the, the version of the paper that we just had uh, published because... I, too much dream information. Too, yeah, in I, went, I, went, I, went, I, <laughs> I went completely off topic there. So myself and a guy called Matt Driller, um, Sean Yarmond, uh, a bunch of us anyway, a bunch of nerds, right? We, we actually published a paper, and I can give you this afterwards, and it's open access so anybody can read Perfect. this. It's called Pajamas, Polysomnography, and Professional Athletes, the Role of Sleep Tracking in Sport, right? Sleep Tracking oh, Technology in Sport. But in, in, before that, I have actually validated some of these technologies in the laboratory as well and had them published, but I'll send you this afterwards. So overall, before we talk about wearables and the validity of them, we have to probably break this into maybe three or four chunks. To measure people's sleep, we've got different methodologies. We have one, PSG at the top of the, of the ladder, right? The gold standard, top of the waza. This is what you might see people put on these wires onto their head and around their body. Mm. That's really focused on investigating sleep disorders, which is over 70 of those. They can be done in the laboratory, can be done at home. That's not meant to be done longitudinally. So like over time, it's meant to be basically a diagnostic tool overnight. The second bucket then down we go is into the wearables. So what we're talking about, then we go down into more um, other stuff like nearables, stuff you can put in the room, and then we might go into self-reported diaries and so on. So mm -hmm. coming back onto the wearables, you, they can be further broken down into more clinical-grade actigraphy devices that a scientist will give you, and then you've got all these wearables, the Fitbits, the Aura Rings, the Garmin's, and so on. Yeah. In general, for measuring the time you go to bed and the time you get up, the amount of sleep you've had, they're not too bad. They're somewhere between 80 to 95% accurate, which is actually quite good in measuring those things. For sleep stages, REM sleep, non-REM, light sleep, they're all really bad. There's a load of variation in them. So I would say to you, if you're wearing a wearable, don't look at the sleep stages, just look at the sleep measures. And the second thing is, I would say, is look at them over a period of time. Don't wake up in the morning and freak out and go, oh, and you got like 20 hours sleep yesterday or two hours sleep or four hours sleep. Don't worry about that. Look at the average over a week or a two week or a three week period because sleep does fluctuate. Just like people in, on diets. Some days you want to have a pizza and you want to eat a lot of Mars bars. Okay, but you're looking for on average across maybe a two week period, I'm getting like two and a half thousand calories a day, whatever it might be. You're looking for that. 
Um, in terms of recommendations, we don't in the business recommend technologies. But what I would say is that based on the latest research, it would look like from the latest research has come up by people like Evan Chinoy, who's done stuff for the military, comparing and contrasting these devices, that the Fitbit algorithm would have the best one for accuracy currently, is what I would say. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So in terms of for sleep, the Fitbit would have some of the best and the Garmin would have some of the worst in the latest research. But they're constantly playing with these algorithms and, and constantly changing around with them. Now, we also spoke in this paper about what you just mentioned, James, is people getting stressed out by them. The scientific term is orthosomnia. So people basically getting obsessed with, I wake up in the morning and only got like six yeah. hours sleep. Do not stress about that. For some people, the wearables actually makes their sleep worse because they're freaking out about the number. Yeah. You cannot action that every single day, right? What you want to do is action it over a period of time. So collect some data for a week or two, and then you can action that data. Because what you can see is things like, oh, look, on Monday night, I go to bed at 9 o'clock. On Tuesday, I go to bed at 10 o'clock. On Wednesday, I go to bed at 8 o'clock. On Thursday night, I go to bed at 12 o'clock. On Friday, I go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning. That variation in <laughs> the time you go to bed is what we call social jet lag. And that's bad because that's going to lead to like uh, poor sleep behaviors and practices. What we're looking for is consistency. And we find a lot with athletes this happens, particularly those that have to work part-time or full-time because they're trying to get trained in the evening as well. So it's yeah. very difficult. We see a lot of this kind of social jet lag across the week and then people trying to recover on the weekend as well. But you can use the wearable then devices then to kind of make some changes to your schedule around that. What, what are you looking at? Or well, if someone is tracking their sleep, you obviously mentioned talking about one, two, three week averages. What are you looking at within the stages of sleep? Or what should someone look at regarding the stages of sleep and the averages in terms of what stages they should be in, I guess, for how long, et cetera? Is that something that someone should even no. check and track? I wouldn't even bother. No. no. Okay. The, one, because those devices are really poor at doing it. And so they can be out by 200%. But on average, if we look at what we should do from a clinical perspective, we should be looking at about 25% of our night in um, REM sleep, which is dreaming sleep, at the back end of the night. So that's predominantly where dreaming sleep happens. Dreaming sleep happens in other stages, but predominantly it's in, in mm -hmm. the REM stages. In the, in the REM stages, at uh, the REM stage, sorry. Then in the non-REM stage, stages, stage one, two, and three, different things are happening there. So stage one is quite light. Stage two is a little bit deeper. And stage three then is deep sleep. A lot of people say REM sleep is deep sleep. It's not. That's like saying, mm. you know, Mars bars are lettuce. It's just completely opposite, right? Deep <laughs> sleep is stage three. This is where growth hormone is released. So this is very important for all the guys out there that are getting on the Joe Rogan podcast and want to do TRT and all this sort of stuff. The first thing you should action is improving your sleep because testosterone is naturally released overnight if you get enough sleep. So, you know, you see these guys, yeah, well, I'm going to be like Jocko and get up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, and I'm going to crush today and do all that. All you're doing, mate, is crushing your balls because you're, you're basically not releasing testosterone because you're getting only about four or five hours sleep. And then you're getting on the TRT and you have yourself in this negative cycle. So the first thing I'd say to people that want to increase testosterone is look at the amount of sleep that you're getting because this is the, the easiest way to do it. It's an endogenous way. It's not an external thing you have to do to increase um, testosterone naturally. So you've got stages one, two, and three, and then REM sleep. Predominantly, the non-REM happens at the first half of the night, and the REM happens at the back. Now, many people have probably heard, oh, this goes in 90-minute cycles, so I should just get six hours, and that's perfect. No, it's not. That, that was a study that said, on average, for thousands of people, it looks like it's happened every 90 minutes. If you've had a bad night's sleep, James, the night before, your cycles might be 60, 45, 90, 120, 
they're always different. They change night to night and depending on what happened in the days mm-hmm. before, depending on your trend and so on. So this kind of every cycle is 90 minutes is, is not right. It's, 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 it's inaccurate. If we want to track your sleep cycles correctly, we have to put electrodes on your head. We have to look at EEG in the brain. That is the best way to do it and the only way to do it. The wearables are using heart rate variability to do that as an inference of an inference, right? So it's not accurate. They're getting better, but they're still not accurate. I would say to people, don't stress about sleep stages. Look more about sleep behavior and routine. I hope you're enjoying the chat so far. Before we get back to that, I just want to let you know that Sweet Science of Fighting is more than just a podcast. We have a full training app with strength conditioning programs for strikers, grapplers, and MMA athletes, so you don't have to think about what you're doing, and you're getting access to the latest scientific methods to improve combat sports performance. We have programs specifically for judo, for jiu-jitsu, for wrestling, MMA, boxing, Muay Thai is coming soon. All these things are going to be in the training app. We also have a private community where some of the coaches that have been on the podcast are in there to help you with any training questions and any performance questions you have. For example, Andrew Usher and Casper DeVitt. We also have some online courses within the training app. They cover strength, conditioning, mental skills, and weight cutting. And finally, we now have Ryan Villalobos in the community, a second degree jiu-jitsu black belt, who is there to break down any of your grappling matches that you want seen to by a second eye. He's currently breaking down videos on a separate Sweet Science of Fighting YouTube channel, and he will break down your video within the community. So if you have a match or a role that you just recorded, you can upload that in there and Ryan will break that down for you. So what are you waiting for? Jump down in the description. You can check out the Sweet Science of Fighting underground. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just had Nick Littlehales on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Yeah. Um, are you aware? Yeah, we're around the, I guess, the sleep cycle, 90-minute sleep cycle. Yeah. Having 35 90-minute sleep cycles a week and spacing that however fits your schedule. So you mentioned, obviously, the 90-minute 90, 90 sleep cycle is probably not accurate for most people because yeah. it can vary a lot. So instead of, uh, I guess, planning sleep in cycles, how do you how do you recommend well, how much sleep do you recommend someone get, say, at night? Do you still recommend them napping in the day? Are there other rules around that? So is, is the general eight hours of sleep what you'd be like, okay, that's probably what you should get? Or is there a lot of individual variance around that? And can someone get away with less and make up for it later? Lots of questions, that one. Okay, so first of all, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good question because people often fire that like, at me as a big ball of different arms. To it, and it's a good question. So on average, for 95% of the population, people need seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Right, mm-hmm. for most people. Yes, there's individual yeah. variances for people, and there's also night-to-night variances for that person. So some nights I might get seven and a half, six, five, eight, nine, and so on. We have a life. Sometimes we have to get up early, we have to work, we have sleep problems, we wake up a few times, whatever it might be. Completely normal. Um, so it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's completely normal. Less than 1% of the population can get by, sorry, let me rephrase this. Less than 1% of the population can sleep less than six hours per night and perform well. People can get by mm-hmm. on less than six, but they're getting by. They're just basically existent. Yeah. And we've seen these people at work. We've seen these people in the gym. We've seen these people in our lives, right? We've yeah. seen people at 35 that look like they're 70. Because they're just absolutely fucked, <laughs> yeah. right? Let's be honest. They're just fucked, right? They've got two or three kids. They're trying to train. They're trying to do work. They're trying to do an MBA. They're just fucked. That's what, they just look fucked the whole time, <laughs> yeah. right? So we've seen these people. They're existent. And they'll rub their eyes and say, I can get by on five hours of sleep. What's wrong with you? You know? But we know 
less than 1% can get by on six hours and perform well. Many people will just be on exhaust fumes. And we see this time and time again. When we give people sleep opportunities and they increase sleep, how better they feel. And then the impact on their overall health and fitness, and particularly on their, on their uh, diet and nutrition. So I don't know if you've ever spoken about the impact or had anybody talk about the impact of leptin and ghrelin and appetite regulation. Uh, no. So this is quite, Drive into it, this is quite interesting. So um, particularly here in Australia, but also in the Western world, we're seeing obviously an increase in what we call counterweights. People are getting fatter, right? Particularly men. They're developing mm-hmm. a counterweight around their gut and they're arching forward. This then leads to obstructive sleep apnea, which is a sleep disorder. So we're just getting fatter and sicker, more metabolic conditions and so on. And coming back on some of my other work, if you look at the value of uh, dying, a report by the Lancet Commission, the, jur- the, the Journal of the Lancet that put together a group, a 50-page report, showed that actually the life expectancy has gone backwards. We're actually dying younger. Yeah, there's a few outliers older, but we're actually not living as long as what we did. And that's linked back to diet, nutrition, mental health, and so on, many of these lifestyle factors. So if we can look at diet nutrition, or for elite athletes or athletes or people trying to cut weight or all these type of things, we need to look at sleep. Because if you don't sleep enough, we have this interaction between two hormones, ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin, think about the G, to grow hunger. If you're sleeping less than seven hours or six hours or those people doing night shift, you will have an increase in ghrelin. This is why when you're working on a night shift at two and three o'clock in the morning, you're not craving a salad or nuts or a muesli bar. You're craving something from the happy clown Ronald McDonald. You want burgers, fries, and <laughs> shitty food. This is because of ghrelin. Now, if you sleep eight hours or more a night, or the more you sleep, then you will have an increase in leptin, and this lessens your hunger. So think about the G, the ghrelin, to grow the hunger, and L would be leptin to lessen the hunger. And this study, these studies have been repeated um, you know, numerous times in, in different environments. And so if people want to look at their body composition, um, you know, they need to be looking at their sleep as well. I think overall, James, in this podcast, I'm probably going to tell you, it's a bit like BMI. There's no, there's only one positive correlation with high BMI that I've seen. But high BMI and low sleep, there's generally no positive benefit from it. So mm. everything here is got, I'm going to spin it in terms of a positive benefit because we know the negative outcome of lack of sleep. But if we can increase it back up to that seven to nine hours, it's cheap and easy wins. I'm not selling anything here. So a lot of people are like, oh, buy this bed, <laughs> buy this mattress, buy this, buy this wearable. My message is routine and focus. It's like Jocko says, and I will agree with Jocko on this, discipline equals freedom. Routine is boring, but fuck me, it's effective. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make hopefully a, a great clip from this. From this from and come back to haunt me someday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you obviously mentioned, okay, someone does sleep, I don't know, less than six hours, maybe happens a couple of nights in a row. Can you make up that sleep by napping in the day or trying to sleep longer maybe the next night etc yeah you, sorry you, you asked that and i didn't really answer that that well there's probably three different ways you can sleep monophasic you have like an eight hour block biphasic yeah. you maybe sleep six hours overnight and you have a nap in the afternoon like they do in in latin america or in spain it's like the siesta culture yep. then you have polyphasic babies 
young kids have lots of sleeps across the day. People mm-hmm. said Churchill did this during the war. Einstein did this as well. It doesn't really matter. Once you, they all add up to seven to nine hours, it's completely fine. For some people, their schedule allows that. But if you're mm-hmm. working in a factory, you're not going to be able to say to your boss, oh, I have to go now for my 40-minute nap because the sleep scientist told me on, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> James DeLazy and, and Ian told me on the podcast, I've got to sleep for 40 minutes. He's going to be like, get back to work, right? But if you're a professional athlete yeah. and you're training – in the morning, doing an AM session and you want to break and you're going back in the evening, well then, yeah, having a nap is going to be beneficial. But what I would say, James, is what I see this in a lot of athletes is they kind of succumb to the bullshit of YouTube. Get up early, rise and grind. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you're a combat yep. sports fighter or a rugby player and you fight or play at nighttime, why are you getting up at five or six o'clock in the morning? Sleep in. Mm-hmm. You need to sleep in and get that, that sleep. I've seen many people, particularly in combat sports around this, particularly strikers, get up and run. I had one guy say to yep. me, I said to my boxer, I said, why do you get up and run at six o'clock in the morning? Because I want to get my road work in. But why wouldn't you sleep? I said, and then maybe do your run before your boxing session. Like Valentina Shevchenko actually does a mono session in one day. She does a big extended training session for two and a half to three hours. That's how she trains instead of doing two mm-hmm. a day. Why wouldn't you do something like that? No, no, I want to go and get my road work in because, you know, when other people are sleeping, I'm working. Okay. Why, <laughs> why, why, why do you do that? I said to him. And this is what he said to me. Well, that's what they did on Rocky. I'm like, Rocky's a fucking movie. It's not really live. And it's interesting. Rocky's fictional. Yeah, but it's interesting how like, people are influenced by that. As if, like, you know, that is, that's like, you know, in the Rocky scene when he's, you know, four o'clock in the morning and starts cracking eggs and yeah. drinking them. Like, people are influenced. Well, those training montages, man. They're fucking those good, though. And I love them. I do love them. Yeah, I do. I, I have to say, one of my, uh, I have a lot of Rocky uh, music on my playlist when I run. And it does make, it does fire me up. Or when I watch a montage, I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but but I'm not using that as my like you know sports science or sleep science you know input. I don't present I don't present that at a conference. And now let's look at what Rocky did a case study. <laughs> Maybe we'll write it up as a journal article as a case study and try and get it published. I probably will get it published too. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely give that a go but you also mentioned about the the social jet lag yeah and i know a lot of i've had questions about this before about and i've even experienced it myself like when i was living in europe and i had to train late like 8 p.m session finish 9 30 10 ish or you know any night session and after you've been training jiu-jitsu or whatever you're awake you get home you eat and you're just like wide awake yeah, it's like yeah. 10 30 11 you're like shit i gotta get up and early yeah. i just can't get to sleep what what are some things someone can do in that situation? Yeah, you, so you could, you could like what we call a, like a prophylactic nap. You could have a nap in the afternoon if you could, or when you come back from work, that would be helpful as well. Um, you could sleep in the next morning if your schedule would allow it. Um, the other thing you could do is actually just look at your redesign of your of your week in terms of training. So like for me, I very rarely you know, train after 7 p.m. because I know Same. it's going to impact my sleep <laughs> so much. So I'll try and go at like half four to one of those earlier sessions. I'd rather get up early and get my workout away. I also back end load my week. I'll train generally on a Friday and a Sunday to get my Jiu Jitsu in there. During the week, then I'll do running and weights and swimming so I can work around with it. Obviously, I'm not a professional athlete or a semi professional athlete. I'm a recreational middle aged man on my way to like 92. So, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be worried about those sort of things. For me, it's more about having a laugh with the lads at the, at the gym, you know. Um, but but mm-hmm. but definitely, you're going to have to look at those things. Now, if people have incurred sleep loss during the week, which is come back to your initial question, which I keep seem to be skirting around, you should look to increase or recover that sleep as soon as possible on the weekend. Obviously, it's not ideal. Scheduling, like I said, is best having a routine and similarity across the week. But if you can't, have a sleep in on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, whatever your day off is, allow yourself that time to rest and recover. So don't kind of deprive yourself of that. 
where you're saying, oh, like on Saturday morning, I should be getting up to mow the lawns and do all this. Sleep in for a few extra hours. It will do you good and you will feel better. But more for the professional athletes, if you're training in the evening like that, try to look at changing your schedule where you actually go to bed a bit later and get up later as well. Now, that may be hard if you have what's called a lark chronotype where you get up early and go to bed early. So you're kind of mm. shifting your chronotype more into that what we call owl chronotype, going to bed later and get up later. And for to do that, you might want to look at some other novel things around your sleep environment, block out blinds, block out curtains, even aluminium foil on the window and would block out light. If you put a bit of water on it and stick it to the window, your house will look like... Keep those, it, keep those government rays keep out. The, yeah, keep, yeah, keep them chemtrails out. But your house may look like a fucking crack then, but it will keep the light out, right? Don't be, don't be worried if the cops come knocking. Um, but you, it will look like a crack then, but it'll keep the lights out. Using eye masks, earplugs, all these things to try and increase your sleep the next morning will help as well. That's more for the professional athlete that has the ability to kind of change yeah. their environment. Yeah, I don't think my wife would want me to, to, to tinfoil up the windows in the house. That won't, that won't go down well. But you, you mentioned about routines as well, like having a good go to bed like around the same time. So would you would you try to set someone's schedule or have someone set the schedule where they try to go to bed at the same time, wake up the same time all the time, and then if there's variance every now and then, that's okay? Yeah, ideally you would. And we look at that. We look at those okay. in terms of what we call time onset variance, and that's a measure as well. So the more variance we see, the more challenge that people have with sleep quantity and quality as well. Gotcha. So yeah. Look, it's. I often say it to people, Gems, right? Do you have, do you have kids, Gems? Do you have young kids or anything? No? I have a six-month-old daughter now. Six-month-old daughter, right? So you're going to come into this probably this zone now where as, when she gets a little bit older, you know, at three, four, five, six, and seven, you want to have a, a sleep schedule. And so many of us may remember yeah. when we were young that we had a bit of a routine before bed. You would have dinner, maybe you would watch a bit of TV or, you know, a cartoon or whatever it might be. And then you would go to bed. So your parents might bat you, shower you, whatever. In my case, they used to beat me, but that's okay. And um, whatever it was, <laughs> I loved it. It was great. It was the best time of my life. Um, and so you would have this routine before sleep. Then you might get into bed. The lights are turned down. You read a story. You know, relax. Go to bed. I love you. Nighttime. Bye. And then everything, right? And you would have that routine for kids. But as adults, we don't do that. We come home from work, we get kids ready, we get dinner, blah, 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 whatever it might be. We pull out a laptop after dinner. We start trying to type to catch up on some emails. Do we generally have a glass of wine or a beer because we think we deserved it? We have the phone going looking at Instagram and we have Netflix on the background. So we're getting blasted by just constant like interaction and, and stuff as well. You know, and so th- this is really bad for us. And, and many people blame electronic devices, but electronic devices... The literature on that and how it impacts sleep is actually divided. So when people say, oh, electronic devices do, does this to your sleep, whoa, 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 hold on. There's many papers out there that actually show the opposite. So there's a bit of a narrative. Really? Going on. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, 100%. A bit of a narrative going on in the media around this. So this is a problem. And a few scientists as well have gone on the crusade. I think it's absolutely bullshit. Um, based upon the evidence, not upon my opinion. It's a bullshit statement to make based upon the evidence. And I think what we need to do is take a step back and look at what's happening. Because if you go to bed, James, and you're on your phone looking at a cat jumping up and down on YouTube and you're giggling away and then you fall asleep, that may be fine for you. But if I'm on my phone texting my boss, you know, l- trying to look at data on an Excel sheet, that's a completely different thing. You're, you're not having any impact to your stress. There's no impact to your cortisol. My stress is going through the roof. I'm getting pissed off, right? Yeah. And as cortisol goes up, we can't basically secrete melatonin, which is related to sleep. So that's going to in fact, impact my sleep. The other thing as well is people say, oh, electronic devices um, impact your time to fall asleep. Yeah, but what if you fall asleep, James, in a half an hour from watching YouTube? 
but it takes me five minutes because yeah. I'm a champion of falling asleep. But what about if I only six, sleep yeah. six hours and you sleep eight hours? Who's actually slept more? You have, but it took you longer to fall asleep. So we're not looking at it in its entirety. We're just looking at little mm. isolated things and we're creating scaremongering tactics around this. And the media's got a big, mm. a big part to play in this as well. So I would say to people, you know, these two things, the, these things around electronic devices is completely divided. But coming back to routine, think about how you would put a kid to bed that's what we need to do for us as adults. We want routine because when, when the routine goes out for kids, they start getting grumpy and irritable and then they need a nap during the day because they can't regulate it. But as adults, we can sort of override it and push through it and grind through it, you know, particularly when money comes into play. We, know we're kind of, we need to make that money. We need to do these other things. Yeah. You know, and we tend to overload ourselves. But I also think this is part of society. We're becoming like crazier mm-hmm. and crazier for work. Both parents are working. Yeah. There's too much on. We're just fucking constantly fried, I think. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the screens as well. I mean, even on a Saturday night trying to watch the UFC, I'll probably fall asleep on the couch with with the screen blasting light at yeah. me in a dark room. It doesn't make a difference. I'm just like, can't even keep my eyes open. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, that's a great example now, James, of cumulative sleep debt. That's the fact that across the week, you're tired and you're just crashing. Yeah. That's a classic sign of that, that people that do that. So people that fall asleep in cinemas, fall asleep maybe at a traffic light, sitting down watching TV. This is what we call excessive daytime sleepiness or excessive sleepiness. Oh, damn. So you... I've been called yeah, out. Yeah, this is... And, and many, <laughs> look, many people, many people experience this. Many people experience it. It's, it's not uncommon. And so uh, this will be a, a problem. Well, does it doesn't matter what the time is. I'm talking like 10, 30, 11 p.m. past my normal bedtime. So it's like I'm already getting tired. This isn't like 8 p.m. Does that make a difference? Yeah, but it might be still because sometimes if you've got good sleep routine and then you come to a period where you have to stay up, this will be like, so if you had good sleep routine and you had to stay up a little bit later, you should be able to override that. But the fact that you're falling straight asleep will be a problem mm. as well. But it's also a good sign because you're in a routine. So it's, it's, it's counterproductive to that. So then yeah. when you do get out of that routine, you can see the impact it's having on your sleep as well. What I would say to yeah. combat that, James, is move here to Australia because UFC is on at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It's gold. I know. I remember <laughs> when I was obviously – I grew up in New Zealand and – and in New Zealand, you start UFC at 12 p.m. or 12 or 1 p.m. on a Sunday. Yeah, it's cool. It would go through to yeah, about yeah. 5 p.m. And I was like, that was yeah. like, that was so it's good. It's perfect. Didn't have to worry about <laughs> cars that were extended. And it's like midnight. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, Who the yeah, fuck yeah. fights at midnight anyway? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how people do that. And, and you're right. It's a great point. Like, and that's, that's what I would say for people like aspiring athletes, you know, especially if you have the time. This is getting up early in the morning. Because the, most of these cards are at nighttime between like 7, 8 p.m. up until midnight or 1 a.m. So there's no point in getting yeah. getting up early in the morning. You're just completely desynchronizing your body for this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, what's your take on, on melatonin? I know uh, big science podcasts like Huberman and stuff. I'm pretty sure. I think he's poo-pooed melatonin. Um, what's your take on using it and are there any use cases for it? So there's two different types of melatonin. You get over-the-counter stuff. Um, well, it depends where you are. Over-the-counter in Australia generally is like a herbal supplement. So we don't know exactly the milligrams that's in it. In America, you can get it over the counter in three, five, and 10, I think yep. the same in Canada. Um, mm. If we want to get those doses like that here in Australia, we have to get a prescription. Uh, depends on the issue with the person. Uh, the latest research that we've looked at, reviews, have shown that overall on balance, melatonin makes no difference. That's what the, the latest review in the literature has shown. So overall, mm. it makes no difference. And then for some people who may have other issues like ADHD, circadian rhythm disorders, taking it for jet lag, you may be making it worse 
depending on the direction of travel, the time of day, when you're taking it and so on. And so we published a paper on this in a travel consensus review recently for athletes. Very little uh, research, little, very little efficacy on melatonin in athletes and, and the benefit for it. Um, I would say if you're taking it, it's a hypnotic, it's not a sleeping tablet, it'll make you a bit sleepy. It's short acting, it'll help you kind of fall asleep. If you're taking it and you like it and you think it's working, do it. But I'd also say to you then as well as maybe miss out for a night and see if the same thing is happening as well. So I think sometimes for people it's a placebo effect. It's just like a routine thing mm-hmm. and I think it's helping them actually fall asleep. But on the balance, the research would say um, melatonin really, um, yeah, is not, not beneficial. I've heard, I don't know if you've come across, I can't remember where I heard this um, on another podcast with some some scientists about high dose melatonin as you age. Like high dose, like I'm talking like 100 plus, I think it was 100 plus milligrams. Usually you're taking like one to five. And I was like, holy shit, is that even possible? And I think, I don't know if they used it for sleep or if they used it for something else. I think it was like high dose, but it wasn't for it wasn't for sleep. It was, I can't remember what it was. I don't know if you've come across anything like that. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. I'm scratching. I'm, I'm clutching at straws here with, with that one that I just can't remember what it was. Yeah. It's something to do with high dose melatonin. I'm not sure. So and I to, uh, to and the other thing I'd say as well, James, is like, you know, there is a lot of health podcasts around. And I think I, I, I applaud people for promoting these issues around health and sleep and so on. But there's many people trying to make a book off the back of sleep who have never researched sleep, never published a paper, never had any experience in their education. So, there is a lot of shit out there as well, as well. So I saw a clip the other day of a guy that says he gets ahead because he doesn't have one day in a day. He has four days in a day and that he splits his day up into four sections. And that means he has four days. So he gets four more, four extra things done in a day than to everyone's one day. And I was, I was like, fuck, what's this guy on? Yeah, but also as well, I said to people, it's like, you know, it's like that some schedule that came out there a while ago, Mark Wahlberg, you know, up at 5 a.m. train. 6 a.m. prayer, yeah. 7 a.m. time with family, prayer, gym, prayer, break, prayer. Like, it was all this uh, bed at 7 p.m. prayers. Then he was, on, he was at a UFC event at 10 o'clock at night in Las Vegas. I'm like, well, he's a fucking liar then because he should have been in bed three hours ago and praying, right? So what I'd say to people is, like, don't believe half of this shit that you read or these videos. People are doing it for clicks. The amount of people that come to me and go, but this guy does this and this guy does that and says this. I'm like, have you spent a day or a week with him? It's like when people do those men's health like photo shoots. Oh, that guy's got an air pack. He probably had it for about two hours. Those guys use weight cutting strategies. And then Photoshop. Yeah, photo and Photoshop. Those guys use weight cutting strategies to get to that. They dehydrate. Mm. They do the same thing like fighters do. I know one guy that was on the cover of Men's Health or one of those things here in Australia. I think he walks around at seventy six or eighty kilos, and he was like sixty six for the photo shoot for about twenty minutes. Ooh. Right. Yeah. So it's like, come on, guys, stop believing this shit. It's weird. Like people are just, I think people are a little bit gullible with this stuff as well. So I'd urge people like with all this sort of health stuff that you're yeah. seeing, you know, question it by all means and the validity of it. Is it really true? And then who's giving you the message as well? Are they trying to sell you something? When people are selling you something on a podcast, mm. I'd be very wary as well. That's why we have no affinity with any product. My podcast gets the sponsor from LMNT, but we don't sell any products related to sleep because I don't want to be accused of pushing mm. a product on the back of, of what we're saying. So exercise caution my friends with that nice and and regarding another question around honestly about sleep banking i've heard this term before about potentially if you know you're going to have maybe a night with less sleep that you can bank your sleep leading up to it so sleeping more the nights before and sleeping in the day and things like that is that something you is that something you can do and how do you go about it if you if it is yeah i think many people do this already um it, it this becomes a big d- debate 
in the sleep science world as well at conferences and so on, sleep banking or sleep optimization. I use the word sleep optimization. You know, especially we've seen some research in military around this as well. Some of the research I've done in super rugby has shown this as well. If you know you're going into a day or a night of poor sleep, less sleep, you're going to travel, you've got a game at night, you've got a fight, whatever it might be. People generally should should focus on optimizing sleep in the days before. We use it for shift work strategy as well. I've used it before ultra marathons as well, trying to get extra sleep leading into it. So definitely sleep optimization or sleep banking, if you want to call it that, will definitely help people override those deleterious effects of sleep loss in that short term. So yeah, it's obviously not recommended the whole time, but it's definitely a, a good yeah. strategy to do leading into it. Yeah. Is there a general protocol or something you advise of someone how to do it? Is it just sleeping as much as you can or is, is it maybe like sleeping a few hours more than what you normally sleep? Um, I would say to people, maybe just extend it by an hour each day uh, and that would be good okay. for the five to six days beforehand. If it's a really short term, let's say you go, you find out on a Thursday, you have to go on a Saturday night somewhere, then you might want to sleep as long as you can on the Friday. Yeah, just give yourself like okay. carte blanche to kind of sleep into like maybe 10 or 11 o'clock next morning if you could. But many of us, you know, generally get up. It's very hard for humans to oversleep. Very difficult. The, the mm. small proportion of people would have hypersomnia or they're sleeping excessively or people with depression. But it's also a bit of a misnomer. People say, oh, people with depression sleep more. They probably don't sleep more, but they spend more time in bed. Hey guys, it's me again. I just want to let you know that I also have Sweet Times of Fighting rash guards and shorts. So you can represent Sweet Times of Fighting on the mats and within competition. We have the classic, just like the shirt I'm wearing, rash guard, Sweet Times of Fighting on the front. And we have the logos on the sleeves and then X Marsh on the back. We also have that in a shorts variation. Same thing with the Sweet Science of Fighting writing on one leg. And we have the logo on the other. But my personal favorite, this is my personal favorite part. We have this in black and white. And it is the Tani Fag Protector Guardian version of the Sweet Science of Fighting with the logo on the back. This was designed by a Māori designer back in New Zealand. So a bit of my heritage on this jersey. It represents the acknowledgement of battle and war. It also represents strength and stability and also has the New Zealand silver fern. But even if you're not a Kiwi, cop this. This is an awesome design. It is a custom made design. You will not find it anywhere else. So check that. That'll also be down in the description with a discount code. But back to the podcast. And then around, uh, I guess, sleep strategies. So when weight cutting, we talked about obviously the ghrelin, leptin. Okay, when you sleep less, you you become more hungry, etc. But I guess around the, around the weight cut, you know, some fighters might be hungry around these times. Yeah. Um, is do you have any strategies to help maybe improve sleep? Because obviously the hunger can kind of kill. <laughs> going to bed hungry is, isn't very nice. So are there any strategies that you have there? I mean, we've talked about routine and stuff like that, but is there anything extra on top of that? We did some overnight polysphenography with a couple of UFC fighters mm -hmm. recently, and um, it's pretty interesting because um, one was kind of a poor sleeper and one was a very good sleeper. Um, mm. And it was also interesting to see that the good sleeper was actually ranked very high <laughs> in the UFC and the poor sleeper was not ranked so high. So there may be a relationship there between sleep and performance and so on. Um in terms of the the stuff around the weight cutting in the week, I think uh, if you look at some of the work, uh, we did a study actually at the Australian Institute of Sport uh, with a guy called Reed Real. I don't know if you know Reed. He works at UFC Shanghai. No, I don't. Yeah, so Reed did his PhD in weight cutting in elite combat and contact athletes. He works for UFC Shanghai. He's the director, I think, of something there. He's got some fancy title. Actually, myself and Reed and Andy Galpin. 
um, are just yep. wrapping up a paper looking at sleep and nutrition in combat sport athletes where we've just basically found that overall sleep quality is shit in combat sport athletes and nutritional knowledge is shit in combat sport athletes. That's really like the correct <laughs> two-line approach to the paper, right? And we had nearly a 1,000 people in this study. <clears throat> but um, strategies around that. I, I would urge people to work with a dietitian for weight cutting if they can, because I think too many people are actually looking yeah. at calorie deficit as opposed to re- reduction of you know fiber, what's in their stomach, and the water loading strategies as well. I think people are trying to cut mass amount of calories in the last week. And you know if you follow people like Danny Lennon, uh, Jordan Sullivan from the Fight Diet, yeah, on the podcast, yeah, these guys, they'll yep, tell they'll, on the podcast, yeah, too. perfect. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll tell you about this. It's not about uh, reducing calories in the in fight week. That's all done, sort of, you know, you know weeks minus one to minus six like for now we're looking at kind of the good content and so on so i think if you work with those guys you're not going to have those appetite ratings through the roof in the work that we did as well simulating a week of a fight camp when we controlled all those things with read sodium potassium like all these other things like i'm not a nutritionist or dietitian so i don't know exactly but we took blood and urine and so on appetite ratings were actually quite stable across the week when it's done correctly mm. so i would say to people come back the proper weight cutting strategies danny and jordan have just released a book actually last week on yes. making weight. i've ordered it yeah. yeah um so that that's coming out i'd urge people as well if you can't afford to work with a dietitian grab some of those resources listen to those guys and do that i think the weight cutting thing is just how people approach it is ridiculous they're just doing a big calorie deficit <laughs> and i think that's what's going to lead to them then going to bed hungry and worrying about it. So I'd say work with a dietitian, um, you know, in that week to, to basically help with your sleep. In the work that we did, James, we had this work published as well. We didn't really f- see a massive difference in sleep across the week in our study. It was quite low mm. sleep overall, but we had a, di- a control group and a, and a water loading group, and we didn't really see a, a big difference in them uh, in terms of sleep. But obviously we, we didn't simulate a fight week where there's media and other pressures and so on. Uh, I, know, I know some people actually um, have this as an issue. Um, and just on that fight week sleep as well, or weight cutting sleep, I'd say to people as well, for athletes during fight week, it can be a bit crazy with media, people around you and hanger-oners and cling-ons and people like up your arse, right? Protect your sleep environment. You see on these UFC countdown shows or blogs or stuff, people in people's rooms playing video games and so on. The athlete should have his own space. Nobody should encroach on that. You want to play video games, mm. go, to the, go to one of the cornermen's room and play video games. But the athlete should have his yeah. bedroom as a sanctuary or hers as a sanctuary where they can go and sleep and relax anytime. Kick them the fuck out of your room. It is not a hangout zone. Really. I, I know mm. people want to hang out and distract themselves, but do it in someone else's room so you always know you can retreat back to your own room at any time. Yeah. That's that's good advice for for anyone who has a crew with them yeah. preparing for a fight. But I think I think I covered all the questions I wanted to to ask you, Ian. But where can people find you? Listen to your podcast, all of that stuff, so they can see what's going on. So uh, we got sleepforperformance.com.au. You can go to that website. There's plenty of blogs on there, essays, uh, the, all the podcasts up there. Over 130 something episodes. We have seminars for the last three years. People can access all those. Um, then we got Melia's Consulting, where we work with industry groups. So if people want to use us in industry for consulting, you can come to meliasconsulting.com.au as well. We've got the Learning to Die podcast. If people want to go over there, they can see us talking to different um, philosophers and other people. We had Rob Wolf on there before. If you know Rob Wolf, he's been on Rogan's podcast. Yeah. We had Rob yeah, on uh, with Stephen Blackwood from Ralston College and num- numerous other people on there as well. Um, and then where else can you find me? We get the Dream dreamteam.study 
uh, over there as well. So there's numerous different places. If you bang my name into Google, you can you can find me as well. I'm on Google Scholar if people want to look at my research, uh, research gate, and always happy then if people have any sort of questions to fire them over to me, and then I can do them in an FAQ on a podcast or get back to them nice and easy or point them in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I, perfect. Now I'll, I'll link a bunch of those up in the description too for anyone to go to go check out and and see. What, I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to follow your uh, your was it the Learn to Die podcast? That what you called it? I'm gonna have to follow that one. That sounds interesting. Yeah, learning, learning, learning to die podcast. Yeah, it is quite interesting. We had actually a lady on there from who works with the BBC, and we spoke about Islam, uh, yeah. the Islamic religion. It was quite interesting. Got I think over thirty thousand views that one. So it was quite interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, some interesting comments in there as well. That was that was good. Um, we had Gordon <laughs> Marino on as well, who's um, I think he knows Mike Tyson. He wrote a book on existential philosophy. He's a recently retired. Uh, professor from St. Olaf up in Minnesota. Uh, we've had Rob Wolf on, like I said. Um, yeah, and then myself, my co-hosts have often broken on topics like, you know, a book of five rings. We've looked at nuclear war. We had Sonny Brown on. Do you know Sonny Brown from the Sonny Brown Breakdown? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we had Sonny, Sonny Brown on talking about MMA. So if people don't know Sonny Brown, Sonny, Sonny was on. I know Sonny actually was in one of our studies years ago. That's why I met Sonny. Um, Sonny actually was a pretty decent MMA fighter. If memory serves me right, he beat Dan Hooker, I think, in his early career. Really? I think so. Okay. I think I think Sonny fought Dan Hooker at lightweight and beat him many moons ago. Yeah, back in maybe AFC or one of these type of things. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Damn. Okay, I'm I'm following the podcast, so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get into some of these. Awesome. Yeah. No, but uh. Thanks for coming on, Anna. I really appreciate you coming and chatting and, and sharing all that knowledge. No worries. If anybody's got any spare cash and you want to send it to me, just uh, put it in an envelope and send it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>